Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hello, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. It's Mark Bruno, the Managing Director at Informa Connect, the Wealth Management Group. And we are very much looking forward to today's conversation with one of the fastest growing RIAs in the industry and one of the smartest people I've come across in the RIA industry as well. Matthew Fleissig, the president of Pastone. Thank you very much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Mark, great to uh, be here and super excited. And thank you so much for the kind words. Yeah, definitely looking forward to going behind the scenes a little bit with you, learning more about your growth. You've experienced obviously some tremendous growth, but you've done it in a lot of different ways. On the RIA Edge podcast, we tend to talk about M&A and organic growth. Um, and we've really learned a lot from people in similar positions across the industry. And what's in- incredible to me is just how unique every firm is and how unique every firm's growth story and strategy is, and also how much it's evolved in the last couple of years. Um, so I want to dive in, but before we do that, could you just give a brief background, please, for people who aren't familiar here, the history and formation of Pathstone, and also just your area of focus and specialization? No, that's uh, that's super helpful. So Pathstone was actually started, the the idea was, and I, we did think it was a blue ocean strategy, was to be a single family office for multiple families. And so when, when we go back to the start of the business, we started around uh, the Braverman family. And so our partner, Steve, who's out in Scottsdale, his family invented the powder-free latex glove uh, during the AIDS crisis. And, uh, and so anytime you see a purple or turquoise glove, you should think of our partner, Steve. And his family uh, was clearly looking at solutions. And, and Steve is a financial engineer on the investment side, but where there was a real gap was on all of the other services that you would typically find in a single family office, risk management, uh, you know, wealth planning, estate planning, uh, tax, accounting, and the business idea uh, was really find a way that, you know, so think of Mayor Bloomberg's family office and think about everything that you would have inside of that family office. And that is what we decided to staff uh, from day one. And so when you look at the business today, it's still obviously a a, a heavy weighting on, on the investment work that we do. Um, but we have, you know, fully built out team members on, on, on the tax side. We did about 1500 tax returns last year on the uh, accounting and financial reporting. We paid 67,000 bills. Uh, we have multiple people who uh, are professionals on property and casualty and, uh, and, and various other risk management areas, multiple lawyers on, on wealth planning. And I think the secret of all of this that we brought together was to do this in uh, with a technological focus. And the, the issue in the industry, I think, as, as you look at this, is that there really is no software uh, to do what we've been trying to do. Uh, but we think we found a way uh, to scale a business that traditionally was not scalable. Yeah, I, I don't know that there is any sort of software available that will help you pay 67,000 bills. Um, but if you do come across it at any point, please let me know and appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Uh, just on the the client 
relative to the asset size and mix, um, one of the things that makes you unique is not just the size, right, but also the types of clients that you work with. Um, so could you just give a high level overview of you know, how many different clients you have sort of spread across yeah. you know, various regions and relative to the assets that pass? So uh, as today we stand, we're in 13 locations. Uh, we started in two and quickly became in three locations, but over the last 12 years since we started in 2010 uh, have quickly grown. And uh, our clients, when we started the firm uh, around Steve's family, the average client size was about 100 million. And if you fast forward 12 years from uh, when we started at a billion four and today at 32 billion, and I think in, a, in the next week we'll talk about later, I think we'll, we'll show that we're at about uh, 35 or 36 billion. Uh, but our, our clients are made up of three segments. And uh, the first is our CCFO segment, which is our customized comprehensive family office clients. Uh, that makes up 85% of the business. And the average size client in that segment to this day is still 120 million. And so I think that really goes to, to the whole point of, of what we're trying to do at Pastum is to create this you know, first national brand um, that's outside of the broker-dealer world, that's a truly independent model, fee-only fiduciary, uh, and really try and be that brand for the ultra-high net worth in the United States. I appreciate that because you know I've known you know, Pastum, we are actually were able to spend some time with you doing a, a really in-depth video project years ago. Um, but I haven't had the opportunity to see how the client and the services that you provide have really evolved up close. And that just gives some perspective. I mean, clearly you're op operating at the upper end of the market, but it's a small and very specific you know, market that you're operating in. So you have to deliver you know, at an, an incredibly high level in and in a customized way, I imagine. Um, and that actually brings me to the first question just around your growth story. Um, you've been involved in M&A, of course, over the last several years, and that's been a, a contributor to your growth, no question. Given how unique your model is, um, tell me what your strategy and experience has been when you've been evaluating some of the acquisition opportunities out in the market over the last several years. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the answer kind of dates back to what, what Patson has created. And, uh, and when you look at that, it is this platform of a technological system, and we, we can get into it uh, later, but you know, how are you able to serve these families uh, with a very, very high level of service that is meant to be high touch? If someone wanted a, a robo platform or something automated, they would be there. I think one of the unique parts, uh, and you know, especially for myself coming from a computer science background, where you think you can automate everything, the reality is is that uh, is that when you when you get there, uh, people. This is one of the last industries I think where where human to human contact and advice. Uh, truly has value. And so when we're looking throughout the industry on the acquisition side, we're, we look and think about what can make us better, not just bigger. And so we've only done six acquisitions uh, in the last 12 years. And so that's something when we find truly unique people that share a unique vision or have unique skills uh, is something uh, that is part of our search. So we've met with, I don't know, I could say two or 300 firms over the last 12 years, and we've only done six deals. Uh, but it's really trying to find like-minded people who want to create this brand that we're trying to do, not trying to create a business um, of, of, of uh, you know, a conglomerate of all sorts of different businesses underneath. But you would normally say to yourself, okay, if I ran a screen of, uh, of RIAs that had north of, I'll say, 25 uh, million average client size, you probably get down to a list of, of about 20. And so that does seem limiting but what we have found is that there are firms out there who have a large amount of larger clients and may have a tail of smaller clients 
And, and our focus traditionally has been to still look for the firms uh, that do have that and can continue to go up market once they meet us and have access to all of these other services that we really don't think exists elsewhere in the industry. Excellent. So what would be then if you were to describe or offer the profile of an ideal acquisition opportunity or an ideal, you know, even just if it was a team that you were going to it's, acquire it's and tuck in? So the first part is culture. Culture is everything. Uh, I think it's something that, uh, that, that we have found. I, I don't know, I'm trying to find the right word for it as I, as I say it, but uh, you know, humble confidence. Uh, so, so not <laughs> arrogance, check your egos at the door, but, but people who really enjoy uh, serving clients, working with people, being part of a team. Uh, and, and on the client focus, yes, traditionally looking uh, for the upper end of the market. On the talent side, uh, one of the hardest things is finding individuals who know how to work and serve $100 million families. So that is something that uh, is finding people who have the experience, know how to work with the larger families, uh, and, and have a passion of something that they want to continue to grow and, and be part of something be part of something bigger. Uh, the other part is is what kind of talents and skills. I think a great example is uh, we have a 20-year history in the impact and ESG investing world, and yeah. I was very proud of what we've been able to do. But uh, when I think about uh, a firm called Cornerstone in New York City with Erica Karp, we knew Erica Karp as, I'll say, one of the, or I'd say the icon in the impact investing industry. And we had this chance to get to work with Erica about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and so we knew that that would bring our impact in ESG investing to the next level. So each time we've done these different types of acquisitions, it's been very purposeful uh, around how we can make the firm better for the entirety of what's there. So I think we're continuing to look for a very unique individual talent, unique skills. Um, the latest uh, uh, acquisition that we're looking at, that I think we'll announce in the next week or two, uh, is around something that has a big technology focus around how clients are served and uh, and really continuing to increase over our overall uh, scale and efficiencies throughout the firm. So you, you're basically saying we're going to have to have you back in the next few days or next couple of weeks to go <laughs> a little bit deeper, right? Well, you, you, you were uh, but, talking about the growth stories. I think, well, I, I think in the next two months, we'll actually show going from uh, about 32 to 40 billion, I hope, okay. uh, if things go smoothly, but you never know. No, good for and and you know I don't want to say congrats yet, but I will after you, you get across the finish line there and make the announcement. I am very interested, and I'm glad that you mentioned Cornerstone because that was the one that jumped out to me a couple of years back. Um, I always think of Pathstone as incredibly focused and incredibly niche um, in, in the clients and the markets that you serve. Your investment approach, and then you go out and find a firm like Cornerstone. There aren't that many firms like Cornerstone out there. I don't think there are actually any. Um, so I, I should ask because everybody always talks about the acquisitions when they get announced, but very rarely do we come back a year or two years later and say, how's it going? Um, so I am curious, I mean, now that you've had a chance to absorb and start to work with and integrate the, the two companies, how is everything post-acquisition? It, it's a, it's a great question. And I actually think that's where the work begins, uh, getting, you know, convincing people to work with you is one thing. I think the bigger part of it is, is what do you do with that at the firm level? And I think that's what we've been so proud with Erica coming on board is the fact, one, uh, she's, uh, she's become an incredibly close friend and partner in a short period of time and her team uh, as well. And, uh, and if, if I always say that we, even though we may be in 13 locations, we operate the firm like we're all sitting together in one office, all working together. And we've been in multiple offices since the start of the firm. 
So even when I think about who I, I say myself work very close with on a day-to-day basis, there's two or three people in Boston and DC, uh, in LA, in Seattle, and it's just something that you find and make yourself work. Uh, but I think what we're the most proud of is that the Cornerstone team, I know there's the name, but they're Patstone. And uh, and so we've been able to integrate some, some of the really unique uh, portfolio management where there are more customized portfolios, depending on what values you have, and then being able to standardize those and being able to offer those out to clients uh, to really try and align your portfolio uh, with your values. So that offering... Uh, that Erica had to kind of enhance. It was the other neat part of that, again, great part of the story. It's Patstone had a, uh, an, an ESG scoring system, which was very quantitative based. Uh, and I think it was very, very, very exciting when we launched it. And Erica had a system uh, that was more qualitative based that was tied more to the SDGs. And so that's an area, again, where you get excited is being able to take a qualitative and a quantitative system and bring it together and to bring to the industry something that we think there's a real thirst for is it's one thing to say, um, you know, I'm an impact investor, but what does that actually mean? And we believe we have a way to actually show that. Yeah. And thank you for the context. I really, I, I realize that, you know, we all see the headlines and uh, we, we kind of move on to the next one. Um, but when you look at even just the ESG scoring, right, and then the qualitative approach that Cornerstone and Erica had taken, um, you know, it, it's, good to see how the pieces fit together sometimes and how one plus one can equal much more than two. So congrats, not just on the acquisition and the partnership, um, but really the successful integration since then. And just uh, one, sorry, go ahead, man. Oh, no, I was just saying, I mean, to that point, I mean, even yesterday, I think the great proof point uh, is that uh, we had a, a really neat speaker um, from uh, David Miliband yesterday, and uh, who is the former foreign secretary of the UK to speak about the Ukraine crisis. And Erica uh, is the is interviewing uh, that person on behalf of Pathstone. And I think that just shows you, again, just mm-hmm. how much it's about coming together as one firm and one company than it is about acquisitions and not creating a cohesive brand and a cohesive firm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's also just when I think about the number of guests and the different types of firms that we've had on RIA Edge, a lot are active acquirers. Um, and while you say you've only made six acquisitions, um, they're significant acquisitions. And it's just great to get you know, a different take um, and a different sort of flavor of, for how you view M&A as part of the overall growth strategy at Pastone. Um, just one final question on the M&A side of things. I know you're about to announce something soon. Um, But what is your view of the market right now? It's been so active for so long. um, And every year for the last 10 years, um, when the industry reports come out, it's been a record year for M&A activity. The deals are getting larger. The valuations are the highest they've ever been. Um, So where are we now in the RIA M&A cycle? I still think we're in the very, very beginning and the infancy of it. the entire, I, I continue to believe that assets will flow to the uh, independent channels from the broker dealers. And uh, the entire RA market, I believe, is still smaller uh, than the size of Wells Fargo. And so the independent <laughs> market is still just tiny and it's evolving. And, uh, and I do think there's all these incredible advantages about uh, cutting fees and fiduciary and, 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 and taking care of clients that will continue that assets will trend in that direction. And as that happens, I think you're always going to have some of the, so I, I know you hear a lot of talk about consolidation, but I actually don't think it's consolidation. I think it's concentration because mm-hmm. um, there's always going to be independent advisors out there who want to serve clients. 
And on the flip side, there's going to be a subset. I think you're going to see five or 10, 10 may be a high number, but I'll say five or so, 50 to $100 billion firms emerge in the next uh, five years. Uh, I think we all know the names as we're, uh, we're talking on the phone. And there's, there's mm-hmm. different strategies as, uh, as, as you look at where they're going. I think ours happens to be rather distinct. But when that happens, the scale that each of those firms will start to being able to have around investments in people and process and leadership, uh, I think that's where the industry starts changing. And so with that, I think if, you, if you're a smaller firm who uh, you know, potentially hits their terminal velocity because they don't have the capabilities to hire the, the, C, the COO that they need or to buy the technology and forget buying the technology, you need to know what to do with it. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where you're just going to see this consider, uh, continuing uh, consolidation. And you're, I think you're going to see uh, different strategies that get there. And I think the other, the other interesting part is I, where I give CI Financial incredible credit is they disrupted the market. Yeah. And uh, in the olden days, you kind of had your choice between uh, Focus and Rudy did a phenomenal job with the business that they built and AMG and Fiduciary Network. And now it's expanded where you see private equity and insurance companies and uh and everyone else, uh, IPOs and public companies and SPACs coming in, because I think this industry is really just going to continue uh, to explode uh, over time. Yeah, and I, I think you summed it up perfectly. It's actually, you know, when you talk about the concentration versus consolidation, I think that's spot on. Um, and for our group, when we look ahead, we have our main event, our Wealth Management Edge conference that we're hosting June 1st through the 3rd. And we have a ton of content that will focus on the convergence of the RIA world and the evolution um, with the Wealth Tech channel. Um, and looking at how the evolution, nobody said it better than Mark DeBersion when he started talking about going from you know practices to business, right? That That's the mindset. Now it seems like we're going from practices to businesses to platforms, right? And that idea of creating wealth management platforms will be one of the hottest topics at our event. And I do want to talk about that with you a little bit too, because when I use the word platform, and I think a lot of people use the word platform and it's overused, we don't really define it. Um, I look at it as a platform as something that is scalable, right? Um, and you're not, and you have repeatable processes, right? And you can continue to grow. Um, you have had major growth, you know, outside of just the MA that we've talked about. So I'm, I'm curious, me, when you look at organic growth and you think about, past own and how it grows. Uh, how do you sort of embed that growth mindset into the overall team? Yeah, well, first, organic growth is everything. Nothing else works at the entire firm unless you're growing organically. Uh, I, I remember uh, prior to uh, working at Pathstone and starting and starting it with uh, Steve, Al- Steve Braverman and Alan Zachariah, um, I was at a firm, I was at the family office for uh, the Goldman Partners or ACO, and I remember the, the growth slowed. And it was this amazing thing that you kind of stacked up folks who were ready to be advisors. Um, but because it wasn't growing, there wasn't enough uh, area for promotions. And so I think about Pathstone and the growth that we've had. We've always grown it north of 10% a year. Uh, over the three last three years, um, we've actually averaged uh, 28% a year, which is kind of hard to believe as we're, uh, as, as we're sitting here. But is that, that excluding the markets too? That, that includes markets. Okay. Um, excluding the markets, we're still in the teens. Yeah, and uh, and I think what that just shows you is that um, you know it fixes all problems, it fixes all promotions and raises and opportunities, and who wants to be advisors? Uh, you do have to worry if that growth starts exceeding the speed of which you can train people uh, internally. 
And, 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 and on top of that, if you don't have the organic gr engine growing, you can't do inorganic because then your multiple is not going to hold up. Uh, and then that side of the business uh, won't work. So, and then I, I do think as the business continues to go on from here uh, and move forward, uh, the, uh, so let's just say Patson becomes a hundred billion dollar firm over the next couple of years. Uh, the, it really goes back to organic business and uh, smaller acquisitions will have less of an impact on some of these larger RAAs that are out there. And that has to be the continual uh, focus as we go forward. And, and last year, I'll tell you at Patstone, uh, we probably grew about 6 billion organic. Um, it was, it's, it's been amazing. And I, I just think it's, again, there's this, that we have seen this void. There's a lot of money in motion as well, but we really believe there's this void on the upper end of the market of providing the services that we're able to, uh, to do. Yeah. And I mean, $6 billion of organic growth is pretty incredible. Um, and I, and I, I don't know that there are a lot of other firms out there that can share you know, that same sort of experience and story. Um, I am interested to know when you look at organic growth and more specifically, some of the contributors or the drivers, um, what is it? And it's probably not just one specific thing, but um, you know, we obviously see referrals for firms that are your size, you know, being at the top of the list, but more and more emphasis on you know, real marketing, right? branding, um, and you know, digital marketing in particular. I'm curious, what are some of the top drivers of your organic growth at Pasta? So my, my answer to you is, is going to be the most boring thing that you're going to hear. Uh, and it's, and the answer is it's still delivering incredible service. So last year, and it's changing actually for in our 2022 budget and our strategic planning, but last year we spent about $100,000 on marketing. And uh, all of our business, 80 something percent of it comes from referrals from clients that we work with. And it's really that you're seeing the trends in the single family office space. And a lot of it um, is uh, beyond new wealth that comes, that's been coming is also the fact that a lot of these single family offices don't have great solutions for their middle and back office and that their staff typically in the single family offices is typically the same age as the patriarchs. So you're really seeing this, this, this trend of uh, patriarchs realizing that they can't live in Excel and that their team that they have is aging like they are and that they need a solution. And a lot of our new business traditionally comes from the fact of uh, family offices that lack infrastructure and Pathstone's able to come in, provide infrastructure, provide performance reporting. And over time, what happens is, is you start seeing that the Goldman's and the JP's and the Merrill's that there's all these fees and, uh, and, and fees are high and uh, performance may be lacking. And, uh, and over time, uh, assets tend to trend to Pathstone. And if they don't, um, we're still thrilled with the engagements that we have but that is that typically has been our trend with our business that we've seen, uh, especially on the impact and ESG side as well. That's been another area uh, that that we've attracted a, a lot of business because I think we have some very unique uh, offerings and systems and alternative investments that have been able to fuel that. So I, I think the two areas that we've seen uh, predominantly is the uh, trends in the in the single family office space uh, where Patson has continued to grow. Uh, impact in ESG. And, and I'll tell you, in 2022, um, we, we've taken this strategic initiative uh, to actually engage marketing because it's one thing to be 13 or so uh, offices. But what we started to notice was that um, I know I said 80 or 85 percent of our business has come from uh, referrals. But uh, the other part has started coming. I know you're going to laugh from our 
800 number and our website. And it's very <laughs> apparent to us. And I know that you're right. You would not expect that for me to, yeah. you know, come on, uh, on the podcast and to say that, you know, a hundred million dollar family calls right, writes to info at pathstone.com, but it happens. Unbelievable. And, uh, and, and, and we realized that we need to have our name. I think our name is known in the industry, but yes. our name is not known out of the industry. And so we actually engaged, um, uh, a consultant to come in, uh, who has been a, an incredible, uh, impact for, uh, some of our direction. And we, we increased our budget, uh, by a very large multiple over the hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in 2021, uh, engaging agencies, looking at digital, looking at SEO, all of these things that we need to be doing um, around uh, client acquisition that we haven't had or needed to do in the past. Uh, and we're, and like I said, the growth engine has been strong, but this is just something we'd like to see it take to the next level. Yeah, you said it would be a boring answer and it actually, you know, it started out that way. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but where, where you ended was great to hear, right? Because you would think from a distance looking at Pathstone that a $32 billion firm that is on the cusp of becoming a $40 billion firm with a very hyper-specific ultra to high net worth client doesn't need to brand or market, right? Um, but your point around someone calling an 800 number or emailing you off of your website, you know, ultra high net worth people Google too, right? right. Um, and when they have a problem that you know, needs to be solved, that's one. That's the first way that I start getting answers when I'm doing my own research. Um, so you have to have a presence. You have to be thinking about digital. You have to be thinking about. You mentioned SEO. It's congratulations. You are the the first guest on RIA Edge to mention SEO. Um, it, it's great to hear how you're evolving, how you're thinking differently, and I'm very curious. You know, over time, to have you back to learn what's working and what's not. Um, I think there are a lot of firms, particularly some of the the smaller firms. And when I say smaller, you know, really the what I would consider to be the expanding or emerging RIAs in the two hundred fifty to say five hundred million dollar in assets zone, they've been doing a tremendous amount of digital marketing over the last couple of years, particularly since COVID hit and we were all you know remote overnight. Um, so I, you know, I, I do want to actually ask you a little bit about that. Um, hopefully. You know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Things are starting to feel a little bit more normal. Um, and more and more of my guests here are back in the office when we do the interview. Um, but I am curious you know, what you've learned over the last you know, two years or so um, when you became you know, more digital and what will you carry with you moving forward? Yeah, no, great, uh, great questions. And obviously it was a scary time and uh, a lot of bad things happened during the, during the time of COVID. Uh, but I say what was interesting from the past on business front is that a lot of us, when we, you know, growing up in the business, uh, our client, we would go to where our clients were located. And so Patstone was really designed. We didn't always have a lot of meetings at the office. And so we would, wherever our clients happened to be at that time of year, we would typically travel there. And so the firm was already designed in a very virtual manner uh, before this occurred. And so I remember, uh, I think it was the second week or first week in March of 2020, when we made the decision to, uh, to go fully remote. And, uh, you know, Monday came and, and everyone was set up because we were already were set up in that manner uh, to begin with. We already were also already were big fans of flexible work times, uh, working from home. Uh, but we obviously took that to the next level around what type of systems we needed and getting everyone the same system at home that they have at the office. Uh, and then culturally, I think that was the biggest piece was how do we keep our group connected? Um, when we're growing, we hired uh, 
We hired 70 new people uh, in 2021 at Pastone, which is which is hard to believe as you think about that. Doing that, you know, you know, I'll say somewhat virtually, somewhat in person. Uh, and how do you keep uh, culture? And how do you have loyalty? And how do you uh, create all of these types of moments that you want to create? And I think that's where the future is going. So I thankfully, I think we've all gotten through this period. And as you look to go forward, instead of coming back and saying, let's have a three-day work week or let's have a two-day work week, what we've actually done is said, all right, what does it mean to be back together in person? And why are you there? If someone's just going to go to the office and do nine hours of Zoom meetings at their desk, it actually serves no purpose uh, being with other people. And so how do we instead you know, create when you are together, I'll say growth moments or cultural moments or these other types or some certain types of experiences that make you feel more connected. And so we've actually challenged all of our department leaders and we're in the process of this now of writing the playbook for their department. And I just think that that's gonna create, I'll say the future of where Padstone goes is that it may be that during tax season, our tax team works better four time, you know, four days a week in the office. On the flip side, our research team is in four different offices. So instead of going to the office, it'll be more impactful to potentially have four offsites a year. And so we're actually in the process, uh, our lease in uh, DC is, uh, is up. It's a phenomenal space, but we're actually going to transition to that to a training center on the East Coast. And we're transitioning our office in Seattle uh, to the West Coast training center. And so those are going to be the sites where all new hires for the gatherings, for everything else like that. Um, and so again, to focus when we are together uh, around what, what moments you're trying to create and to really focus in that on going forward because the world has changed. And, and uh, I'll tell you clients, I, I even think, I think travel is 50% of what it used to be. All mm. first meetings, you know, used to you get a prospect and you'd hop on a plane to uh, Florida or LA and, uh, and you'd come home. I think all first that's that's gone. I think it's first yeah. meetings or first M&A meetings are all virtual. First prospect yeah. meetings are virtual. And and I think clients, would they like it. They like the way it works. So uh, I think the world has changed and we need to be in front of it. Yeah, I appreciate that because the, the process that you have, the clients that you work with, I mean, you have to be extremely hands-on. So operating at a distance the way that you have been, or it sounds like you were for at least a period of time. Um, yeah. it, it seems like it, it, Pastone hasn't necessarily had to change that much, but I am curious how much of your clients had to change o- over that time. It sounds like the relationships may have changed, but you know, for the better, you know, not just in terms of efficiency, right? But you know, preference, right? People just have more options now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that uh, people enjoy. There's still folks who like to come in and meet in person, and others who. You know, we have we have meetings and uh, and you know the, over Zoom. You know, they don't go two or three hours; they go an hour, an hour and a half, and you you uh, get more concise materials. Uh, but at the same time, you have to make sure that you have that personal connection because, as you know, in the industry and what we do, uh, everything is relationship based. So it doesn't matter how much technology you have or yep. any of these other things. Uh, it, it's you, you need tools to make those things easier, but you still have to build the relationships. Um, and, and candidly, when I think about, I'll say myself, and I know uh, the folks at Pets, and the most rewarding part of working with these families is really becoming part of those families in that relationship. So you get 70 or 80% out of it, I think, on over video and Zooms, yeah. but there's still nothing like um, you know, meeting together in person. No, I appreciate that. And it does, 
describe another way and mentioned before going from a practice to a business, to a platform, right. Um, that transition to doing more virtual you know, meetings, you know, to sh- sharing you know, performance reports and other sorts of you know, uh, portfolio uh, reports with your, your clients, you know, on zoom or teams or whatever it may be, uh, has just become a natural progression. And it seems like you're in a good place. It seems like your clients are as well. And we appreciate you taking as much time as you have to share the past stone story with us. And Matt, before we let you run, was there anything I didn't ask just about your growth and your growth story that I should have that you think our audience would benefit from learning? The only, the only thing I would say is when I keep hearing the word platform and the evolution as the final place, I'd like to end that and say an enterprise, because I think that, that to me is where I think we pass on to try to differentiate is that it's not for you know, folks to come on the platform and operate. It's how do you create the Pathstone way? How do you create that culture? Uh, how do you have the same experience in New Jersey that you would have in LA? And yeah. that, that to me is how you really build, build an enterprise, build equity value for the shareholders and, and build continued value uh, for clients. And so I think that would be my, that'd probably be my closing uh, point is that we need to go past the platforms and go to the enterprises because that is really the only way I think you're going to get that national brand and eventually start being a household name uh, as an independent competing against the Goldman's and the JP's and the Morgan Stanley's of the world. Appreciate that. And I appreciate you giving me new material, right? Because now I can ask people, are we there yet? Right. Um, <laughs> or how far we are from the enterprise stage. So thank you very much, Matt, for taking some time out. It's been a long time since we've had the opportunity to catch up, but it was great to learn about all the different things that are going on at Pathstone, all the different things that have contributed to your growth and congratulations on all the success you've had. Thanks, Mark. Uh, super fun being here. Thanks again. Yeah. And we'll have to have you back soon, especially after you make your announcement. Um, and I think <laughs> that there's a, a, a lot of activity in the industry right now. And I was glad to hear you say that things are still in the early innings for the RIA channel. Um, I think it's, I think I it's that, all acceleration from here. Yeah, I feel the same way. And that's exactly why we're doing this podcast and all the different things that we're doing around RIA Edge at Informa here. So again, Matt, thank you very much for joining us here. I appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for tuning into this episode of RIA Edge. On behalf of the Wealth Management team, I'm Mark Bruno. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode of RIA Edge. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.